Today we're talking with Neil Amin Shamin Hotels, Neil's second generation hotelier. We're gonna learn about his humble beginnings growing up in a motel since the age of 12, to Wharton, to Goldman, back to running a hotel company in Richmond with 62 hotels, coming to us today from his gorgeous Hampton Inn rooftop in downtown Richmond. Another great story from another great family in our industry. Neil, thank you, thank you for coming on today. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. I'm so excited to have this dialogue. Uh, your story is incredible. So I'm super excited about this. Thank you, T. Appreciate it. No worries. Where, where are you today? It's a great background. We picked a beautiful day to host Yeah, this. it was a great day. We're at the, the rooftop. It's called the Cabana Rooftop of our Hampton Homewood in downtown Richmond. It was the first uh, rooftop restaurant, bar, slash nightclub, don't tell Hilton, uh, that, you know, is part of a Hampton Inn. So we we're excited to do this. I'll be sure to keep it our secret. Yeah. Uh, you're in the running right now. That might be one of the best backdrops we've had yet. I mean, people are up in their game now. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. This, the rooftop right now is doing more revenue than our 244 rooms. Oh, that's sad. T uh, tell me. Give me, the, give me more. So, I mean, just, you know, people want to be outdoors, right? So, I mean, you know, they're, they're coming out here, you know, pretty much every day of the week. People are working from home. So we say Thursday's the new Friday now, right? I mean, Thursday night is when people come out, and then you have Friday, and then you have families on Saturday and Sunday, and, uh, you know, people enjoy the outdoors and uh, socialize, you know, and in a, in a, in obviously in a, in a safe manner. So more rooftop bars and restaurants in your portfolio, is that what you mean? I think so, yeah. Full story Hampton Inn with a rooftop bar? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, so I love it. Now, remind me, how many how many hotels you guys got now? So we have sixty two currently. Sixty two. How many are in Richmond? Hotel. I'm in Richmond, thirty nine. And then and then where are your other ones? Norfolk, and I got a bunch on the beach in Norfolk. Yeah, we got thirteen in the Norfolk MSA, which is you know the number one performing MSA uh, post COVID. So that's really helped us during this time period. How are your Norfolk assets doing, the beachfront ones versus your Richmond assets? They're doing fantastic. You know, they really supported us during this downturn. We're running the same occupancy, you know, 99% uh, in the summer. The rate was a little bit off because we didn't want to take a lot of chances. You know, we're happy just to, to get the revenue. But, uh, yeah, they're, they did very well. And, you know, it's interesting. We're seeing a different customer this year at the Ocean Club. You know, you're seeing people that are 20 to 40, you know, no kids, uh, you know, that definitely want to get out and have a good time. So, you know, it's great. Yeah, it's interesting, the dynamics, the changing dynamics in our time. All right, so I'm, we're going to get into it. And I want to, I want, you're going to be very open with me. I'm going to ask you the questions. I want to know how your hotels are doing, what struggles you're having right now, how you're uh, managing through this process. We know it's tough. But before that, I got to ask, because I love doing it, and your story is incredible. Talk to me about how you got started in this industry. Give me the stories about growing up at the motel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, my family started the company. My father, his story was that he went to go pick up his sister and uh, she was at a friend's house and that was a small motel, like a 20 room motel. And, you know, he, he pulls up and he sees that this guy has a Cadillac. He said, man, there's something to this business, right? This guy can afford a Cadillac. So, so let me look into this. So him and his brother-in-law started looking for assets and, you know, they bought the first one from the RTC. Uh, and then we bought one here in Richmond, and that's where I grew up. So I grew up in this motel until I was uh, 12 years old. You know, uh, the desk clerks were my babysitters. You know, <laughs> my dad would utilize me, my small size, to, to creep into, you know, 
mechanical rooms and things like that to help wherever I could. And but it was a great childhood. You know, I never regretted anything. And, you know, I saw firsthand the power of hospitality. Yeah, good for you. Although, can you imagine your kids growing up in the hotel these days? God, you know, I, I tell them and I take them. You know, we still have that first hotel, motel. I keep saying hotel, but motel. I, I take them by there and I show them the pictures and I said, look, this is where I grew up. And, you know, I want them to experience that. You know, it was priceless. Yeah, I love it. They, they wouldn't understand. All right, so then what? So then we grew up in the motel and then what? College? So then, yeah, I went to, uh, I went to the Warren School of UPenn in, in Philadelphia. I did undergraduate business and did an MBA there as well and then uh and then i worked at uh, goldman sachs well actually before that i spent a summer in silicon valley in 1999 and it was the craziest time in the world i mean we were just valuing companies based on eyeballs i remember working with like lycos and infoseek if you remember those alta vista that time alta vista was like the number one search engine and it was just like okay how many eyeballs do they have and okay it's worth a billion dollars you know <laughs> Crazy times. That's when you buy a stock for ten dollars and it go to a hundred or a thousand. Yeah, exactly. And people weren't buying hotels because they were making so much money in the stock market. Yeah, yeah. You you go to a party and people don't even know the name of the company; they just know the ticker symbol, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, all right. So we we graduate from Wharton and we go to where? So then I went to Goldman Sachs in New York. So I graduated in two thousand one, and uh, you know, so you know, I talk. I'm an only child, by the way. So. You know, I was talking to my parents and they said, look, we, we kind of know real estate a little bit, but there's this tech boom going on. Let's not focus on real estate. Why don't you learn about tech, right? So I did, I did tech M&A at Goldman. And, you know, that was great timing because I joined in, in 2000, 2001, right? And then the market collapsed, right? Uh, right when I joined. Um, believe it or not, I joined September uh, 2001. So right before 9-11 uh, in New York. Oh, so I still remember the day I was there, you know, I was in the subway when the first plane hit and I was walking up the steps of a Wall Street uh, station when the second plane hit. And, you know, after the first plane hit, everybody rushed, you know, kind of towards the building just to help because they thought it was an accident. Let's help anybody we could. And then the second plane hit and obviously it was a different dynamic. And, you know, we were stuck in our in our building at 85 Broad for hours and we had to walk home. We had to walk from eight from the financial district to 14th Street. They shut down all public transportation, and we were covered in ash. Um, but you know what I remember from that is it brought New Yorkers together. You know, I mean, after that environment, and I and I kind of look at that as what may happen after COVID is you know people want to be together, they want to support each other, and and you know we're seeing that already here. Uh, that's crazy. I forgot about that, but uh, you know, uh, good for. Uh, all right, so we do New York, and then we go back to join the family business. What's the catalyst to join the family? Did Dad say, come on, or were you like? <laughs> He's never going to admit that. You know that. You know? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's, it was both ways, honestly. Uh, it's interesting. You know, when I tell the story, it's like when I joined college, we had four hotels, right, in 1996. When I, when I was at Goldman, we had eight hotels. So, you know, when, you, when you're going to college and you, your family has four, four is great. But it wasn't honestly my plan to come back to, to, to run four hotels. Then they had eight. And then so the discussion started happening. Well, look, you know, what's the plan? And, you know, of course, I wanted to, to help them. I didn't want them to continue to work hard if I'm not going to come back and join the business. You know, so the thought was you can continue slaving away at Goldman and uh, at some point leaving 
or kind of go back early and, and take and, and help them as much as possible. So that was uh, that was the thought. If I want to, if I want to do it, I'll well do it sooner than later. So how old were you when you joined the family when you came back? I was about I was about uh, twenty three. And what was your title? It was CFO. I mean that you know <laughs> from Wharton and, and Goldman. That's all I knew. You know, it's a funny story. I, I look back at this at Wharton. I love Wharton by the way, but they they taught us that you borrow as much as possible to lower your cost of capital, right? I mean, that was, you know, we do all these case studies and they would do it. And I remember, you know, at the end, you know, they would say, what, what are the negatives of this, right? And all you have to do is write, uh, there's a cost of financial distress. As long as you wrote that, it was kind of like, you know, you're covered, right? <laughs> you're, you're acknowledging the pitfalls of borrowing too much. But, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm just bringing that up because, you know, now we've lived, we've lived through two cycles, right? And, right. you know, we really, understand that there's obviously uh, tremendous benefits of being conservative. So tell me what you learned. I mean, give me your, your Wharton experience or, your, sorry, your Goldman experience. Tell me what you learned on the financial side that is helping you today. Yeah, you know, I mean, at Goldman, the biggest thing I learned was just meeting so many people, so many company CEOs of companies. I learned so much. I mean, you get a breadth of experience. Um, you know, everybody has a different view on the way the world works and how to manage people. And, and I'll tell you, the big thing about Goldman is and this was in 2000, they're very big on diversity. Like that was one of their core pillars. And I think that was very important. My, my immediate team leader was a West Point graduate and he had no business training at all, but he had tremendous leadership training. And for me, I was this young kid who, you know, I knew how to do some numbers, but I mean, honestly, I didn't have the leadership. training, So I learned a phenomenal amount. So I think you know, that really taught me, you know, definitely to me as well. The importance of diversity, avoiding groupthink, having you know that diverse point of view to ensure that you know we're taking care of our guests. So, would you recommend that route, that path to other young people coming up to the industry? Get away, go do something else, learn, and then come back. Definitely, I think you know it's important. But I think for me, it was important to, to get, get some credibility, right? Otherwise, you know, you come back and it's like, okay, what do you know? I mean, I still got that, honestly. But <laughs> you know, over time, you know, hopefully, I proved my worth. Oh, I love it. All right. So help me now that now you're fully trained and you've been in this thing for way too long now, 20 years. So yeah. tell me how you manage in this company and these assets, a hotel company in a brutal global pandemic, uh, how you lead them. You know, I mean, we're, we're here to, we're here for the long run. I think you know that about us. We don't, we don't sell, we want to have a solid foundation, right? So, you know, what's, what's the solid foundation? Of course, it starts with our associates. And so that's the first thing we did in March, you know, right when COVID occurred, we announced a $100,000 associate assistance fund. Uh, so we donated $100,000, set up a fund with a foundation and associates, you know, we had weekly calls, associates can call in and, you know, request funds for shelter, for food, for, you know, rent, uh, utility support. Um, and we we're very proud to disperse those funds. I mean, honestly, it's, it's probably the, the brightest spot for COVID for us is to be able to do that for our associates. We always want to help our associates, but this was a great opportunity to do it. You know, we always want to know how can we do it? And this was the best way. Good for you. So, so, there I asked those 100,000 over sort of how many associates do you have? You a so lot. we have 3,000. Yeah, that's a bunch. Good for you. Is there any money left or has it been dispersed? So we have some money left, but we told them that, you know, if it gets dispersed, we'll, we'll continue refunding it. You know, I mean, uh, you know, that's, I mean, the whole point was that we wanted them to know at the onset 
when there was so much uncertainty that we had their backs, right? I mean, when, when times are good, we have your back, but clearly when you need it the most, we're here for you. And that's the message we want to deliver, and hopefully people appreciate it. And you did that in March. I mean, that's early. Good for you. And was that out of personal pocket? Yeah. 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 Good I for mean, you. Honestly, T, this is a true statement. We're like, we're losing hundreds of thousands of dollars a day, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, it's like, is $100,000 going to you know, do a tremendous amount of goodwill for our associates? It's probably not going to, uh, you know, affect the survival of Shamit Hotels, right? Uh, I, I, lo I love that spirit. Good for you. And I love that we're laughing about losing $100,000 a day. <laughs> so, I, whatever. Um, yeah. All right, so keep going. So you are, let's talk about losing, you know, occupancies dropped to what? Yeah, yeah. How are you working with banks? So, yeah, so, you know, the first thing we did, that it was like March 18th, you know, we put together, I wrote a letter to all of our lenders just saying, look, this is our plan. This is what we're going to do. We're we, I called all of our jurisdictions, like our counties and local governments, and said, look, we can't, we can't pay your real estate taxes. We can't pay your lodging taxes. We can't pay your meals taxes. Help, help us, you know, secure some liquidity and defer those payments. And they were all, honestly, very supportive. I mean, that was a, was a great win. Uh, Dominion Power, which, you know, provides utilities for us, they, they deferred, you know, over a million dollars of, of payments for us. Um, so we did that with every single vendor and said, look, we've been around for 40 years. We're going to be around for another 40, which just help us during this time period. So we, we put together a plan and uh, sent that out to our lenders to let them know that we're on top of it first. Wait, so that worked for balance sheet. How much CMDS debt do you have? So same thing. We got, we have, so we have 17 CMDS loans and we have three life company loans. And so reached out to all, all of them and, you know, believe it or not, we got deferrals on seven. CMBS. Oh, wow. And it, it was a lot of hard work. I mean, we had to constantly reach out to them every week, daily, and just say, look, we need help. We need help. We need help. And, you know, honestly, I think they're doing the right thing in some ways. I mean, what they're saying is, look, we only want to give help to people that need it, right? Because when that, when that happened, every single borrower asked for help, even yeah. the guys that have tons of money, right? And so I think they said, look, we really want to make sure you need it. So that's why I think it took some time for them to approve these deferrals. Um, and so our calculation was, you know, we have seven larger hotels that definitely need it. We have eight others that, you know, they're smaller, they didn't need it as much, and is it worth spending $10,000 in fees to get $100,000 of relief? You know, we just said, so we kind of withdrew the requests on those. But I mean, I'll tell you, we have, we have a $90 million CMBS loan where they let us defer payments, like $2 million of payments. And, and not only that, this, this blew my mind. So for the debt service coverage test, they said, yeah, we're not going to use Q2 2020. We're going to use Q2 2019 going forward. So clearly they're here to help us, right? I mean, right. that was something that was very positive. Uh, for our company. All right. So uh, one, that's amazing and good for you. Um, but devil's advocate, that was in March, which dare I say, maybe those conversations were easier. Here we are, yeah. I don't know, October. Uh, what are the conversations like today? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's hard to get a second round of deferral on CMBS, as you can imagine. You know, I mean, now we've got to pay back the deferral, right? I mean, so it's definitely, uh, you know, more of a burden for us. Um, you know, we we're still talking to two of them just to get some longer-term relief on some hotels that you know, have some upcoming renovations. And so that's still, you know, they're still supportive. Of, you know, let's, let's figure out how to 
get past this this uh, downturn. The, the balance sheet lenders, you know, as most of your as, as Mitch and, and Naveen, all those guys said, is that they're easy to work with, you know. But I will tell you this: my prediction is that the balance sheet guys are going to become more difficult than CMBs. And here's the reason why: the balance sheet guys are saying, "Look, wait a minute, you're paying CMBs, but you're not paying us. How's that fair?" Right? I mean, yeah. and it's like, I mean, you're going to lose, you're going to use all your liquidity on CMBS where you don't have a personal guarantee. You're taking money out of your personal balance sheet to face CMBS. How's that fair to us? Right. And so with CMBS, it's like, you know, as long as you pay them, they're happy. And, and in this environment, you could even probably not pay them for 60 days and they're happy. Right. For the balance sheet guys, they're going to say, well, you know, let's do an appraisal. Oh, this loan matures soon, or you know, what's the what's the debt service coverage on this, or you know, is this is this collateral really worth what it used to be, right? When do you think that really starts kicking in? Timing. I think I think definitely in January it's going to be. Look, we gotta we gotta figure out are, are these loans the right size or not? Yeah. And the only reason I say this, I mean, I went through this in '09. You know, I mean, gosh, '09 was so tough. You know, we had. You know, you know, we built that Hilton in Richmond for Diamond, and we started construction December 2009. Yeah. Okay, and Wachovia was our lender, and during construction, Wells Fargo bought Wachovia. So then Wells Fargo comes in, and uh, you know, and I don't blame them. They're like, you know, we got to see what's going on here. They we give them a hard hat tour in March of 2010. You know, on a Four Diamond hotel. <laughs> you know. Uh, and so, I mean, you know, it took, it took a couple of years, you know, to right-size loans, not just for us, but for everybody. So I think, unfortunately, that's what's going to happen next year and the year after, and it's going to be a drag on, on new investment industry. So uh, not trying to, at the risk of picking winners and losers, who's going to win and who's not? What skills and talents and relationships and depth of pockets do you need to have to survive? Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of – people that have come into the industry over the last 10 years. And I think, unfortunately, they're the ones who don't have that experience or the depth. Um, and, and they're going to, they're going to get affected the most. And, and part of it is they may not have the sophistication too. I mean, some of my lenders are telling me that some of the big banks are like, you know, the larger guys like the guys that you interview, they understand, right? They have the CFO, they've been through this kind of the smaller guys that may have eight to 10 hotels that, you know, they know how to run a great, you know, limited service hotel, where they're probably not the best at forecasting and, you know, and, and understanding values and, and cycles and things like that. So unfortunately, I think they're the ones who the banks are, are more likely to focus on, you know, to, to move them to special assets and, and try and, you know, move those off the, the books. So do you think your uh, size is helping you? Because I might have thought it's the opposite. You're so big, you've got 61, you can't keep them all. That's that's an elephant. Uh, how are you going to really hang on? Whereas the small guy only's got a couple that he's got to worry about. But you're telling me it's the opposite. I think, you know, I think it depends. I mean, we, we've been through this before. So we kind of, I've always said, I don't want to go through that again. So we've been very conservative. You know, we, we, we haven't done a lot of development, honestly. We've, we've acquired a lot more hotels, thanks to your help as well. You and Hunter Hotels. Uh, you know, we acquired 27 hotels since 2012. And all those that we acquired below replacement costs yeah. you know when we acquired them we had to do a pip so they're all freshly renovated and i think our lenders see that you know the basis is very low 
Um, and then, you know, we have a four-year track record. So we tell them, look, we've been through this, you know, m many times. You know, and, and All right. So a question I love to ask. Do you see you guys more or less hotels for Shaman Hotels coming out of this? I think we'll definitely have more. But I'll tell you, like, my top priority is I don't want to stress my associates. You know, like, I mean, because you can imagine everybody's working two jobs right now, right? And the last thing I want to do is say, hey, I got a great deal. You know, let's, let's buy this hotel. And now you got to go visit that hotel and do this and change over and turn it around. And maybe you can make, you know, a great return. But I don't think that's fair to our, our management team or our associates, honestly. Uh, you know, what, what, what I would like to do is, you know, I think this is an opportunity to buy generational assets. You know, my view, and I think you, I think you and I have talked about this, is that everything's for sale right now. Right. The stuff that people would say, don't even call me about it. I'm never going to sell it. That's right. for sale. Right. And yep. so our view is if we can pick up one or two of those generational hybrid entry, you don't have to worry about new supply ever. Right. I mean, that's what we would like. And I'm going to put words in your mouth and you're, you're buying that at almost par, not at a big discount, but you can buy it today and control it today, whereas you couldn't control it yesterday yeah i mean honestly you can you can like even there's one you know that we were looking at and you could buy it maybe at a 10 15 percent discount you yeah. know because i mean and, and you know that owner saying look i could take that money and i could buy 10 hotels at right. a huge discount so i think that's that's the, the calculus on. it'll be interesting but i think there might be a big changing of hands of assets yeah take mine and i'll take yours yeah good for your <laughs> business right yeah well let's go <laughs> a little tough right now <laughs> all right let's talk about operations then dive in tell me what you guys are having to do operationally uh certainly to keep guests safe also your yeah. associates safe and to shrink costs so that you can pay the lenders sure sure i mean definitely we had to furlough individuals i mean that that was very tough for us but the one thing we didn't do is we did not reduce compensation for anybody um again we just want people to feel like you know when the times are tough we're, we're, we're with them right and so that that was the first thing we wanted to make sure we, we did as long as we could. Um, and then, you know, obviously we're cutting costs wherever we can. I mean, we have a bunch of full service hotels, uh, convention type hotels. We're not doing van shuttles. We're not, we don't have Bellman, you know, it's definitely uh, reduced services at all those hotels. And that's enabled us to, to break even at a much lower rate. I mean, we were shocked. We were expecting to lose a lot more money than we are. Uh, we're still losing money, but you know, it's really on those, corporate convention center hotels, the limited service extended stay hotels are doing fine. Um, so I think, you know, for us, we're running about 46% occupancy right now. And that's skewed because we have, like I said, those 200, 300 room hotels that are running 10, 15%. Um, but, you know, overall, I would say maybe we're breaking even on 90% of the hotels and we got, you know, 10% that are, that are, that are losing money. What's break even now, What's break even today with debt service on a limited service hotel? So on a limited service, it's probably about 50%. But, you know, that's not sustainable, right? I mean, it's like the way we're operating hotels right now, you know, <laughs> it's like it's like your car. If you don't you know, do maintenance on it, at some point it's going to break down, right? So yeah. that's, that's the worry. That's the worry, honestly. Uh, that makes sense. What, what other nuances are you seeing between your leisure hotels, your convention hotels, and just your standard limited service or your business hotels? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, 
leisure is, is back, you know, and, and that's been great. And we're at Richmond where we have a bunch of hotels as a drive-to destination. So that helps quite a bit. Um, you know, on the convention hotels, we're really trying to be creative. You know, I mean, you've got to. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of relationships with localities here. We've talked to them about, you know, should we, should we convert ballrooms to schools, right? I mean, because, you know, there's this whole push. I don't, know, you know, I don't know about Atlanta, but here this whole push between in-person and virtual. You know, half the parents want to be in-person, half want to be in virtual. So we're saying, look, why don't we help you? You know, you can bus people to, to the hotels and we can set up our, our breakout rooms as classrooms. You know, and if that helps the, the school district and we make a little money out of it, we can provide lunches. So th those are the type of things that we're doing. You know, we're definitely working with hospitals as well. Um, and that's, that's helping us survive. I mean, pool service, you know, I got to tell you, I think we got to figure out as an industry how to really ensure pool service uh, survives, you know, post-COVID because we're getting hit in a lot of different angles. Like, you know, I think about the Hunter Conference and a lot of the events, you know, after the conference are not at hotels, right? I mean, we go to, you know, a bunch of different venues, uh, Painted Pin, I remember it was a great one down there in Atlanta. And so, you know, full service hotels can't compete with that. Right? People aren't going to a ballroom just to go right. hang out at 9 p.m. Yeah. All right, give me some other creative fundamental changes in our industry. I mean, we're going to have to change significantly. How do you see it? What yeah, I mean, you know, our, our cost structure is just, it has to change. I yeah. mean, we cannot keep going forward like this. We cannot have two uh, survival type recessions in 10 years and expect to be business as usual coming out of this, you know? I mean, one thing like, you know, technology, I mean, I know, you know, I still remember I wrote in your Tesla and I bought one, you know, probably a month later. So thank you for that. I You're really welcome. appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, but you know, I mean, look, Tesla has self-driving cars, you know, Amazon, you can buy anything on, but like a full service hotel, if I want to know if the ballroom is available, my understanding is that I still got to call the hotel, talk to somebody and say, Hey, I want to book it. Is it available? I mean, why shouldn't that be available through technology on brand.com or anywhere, right? I mean, why, why do we have people that have to answer that call and provide that, you know, space and rates and dates, right? So I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to, to use technology to improve the cost structure, for sure. Uh, sure, but go the other way. I mean, ha ha we love these Zoom calls, but is this the future or, or not? Are we still getting together? No, no. You know, I got a funny story. So a friend of mine, uh, you know, he's trying to sell his company. And he's interviewing investment banks, right? So he, you know, he knew that I was in the business. So he called me and he said, look, tell me what you think. And he said, so I said, okay, who'd you talk to? He said, well, we talked to two banks. You know, one, one, the guys came in, we had a great meeting and all that stuff. The second group, they did it by Zoom. And then at the end of the Zoom call, the guys said, you know, can, can we answer any more questions? And, they, and the guy said, well, did you know that your competitor came in to see me an hour ago? <laughs> I'm talking to you guys on Zoom, you know? And so I'm like, that would be the perfect commercial for our industry, right? Can you imagine like, you know, you're pitching for a bit, piece of business and you got one guy on Zoom and then one guy you're having drinks at a hotel bar, you know, <laughs> which one would you go with, right? I'm gonna save that, I'm gonna steal that, Neil. That's, that's yeah. a great one. We'll yeah. find that somewhere. Yeah. yeah you, you, gotta know, go, like, you gotta go see people. Yeah, you gotta see people, you know? But I think the other thing is like, like you know, I got a lot of friends who are in the apartment business, right? I mean, for them, they go, they get a, 40-year HUD loan at 2.5%, 85% leverage, no brand standards, no, you know, you know, very little headache. And so, I mean, when you look at that compared to our industry, it's like, you know, we're working really hard 
to, you know, for, for this passion that we have, you know, for hospitality, right? I mean, we're not going to change it for that, but it's just like, you know, we, we got to do something to improve the health, right? Because lenders, this is my other fear. Lenders are going to say, look, man, we're mispricing hospitality assets, right? I mean, if we have to worry about them every 10 years, are we really, should we really be in this business? And that scares me. Yeah, that scares us too. We've thought about that. Yeah. But, I, you know, I go back to why are we in this business? I do think the outsized returns are there. Yeah, sure. But I'm with you. If, if people start thinking there's outside risk in there as well, that's not good for us. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, you're the lender expert. Well, I'll let you figure it out. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> All right. All right. Give me the future of our industry and then the future of Shaman Hotels. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think our industry, I think there's real momentum around, you know, changing the cost structure. And I know some of your guys talked about it. You know, we're all on the same committees with all the brands. And, and the good news is I think the brands realize it. I mean, the brands obviously were hurt as well. So I think they realize that, you know, they need to change this uh, mentality if we're going to continue to grow and prosper. So I think that's definitely there. Um, you know, my hope is that you're going to see less uh, independence now. Because, you know, before this, you know, I think there were a lot of non-hoteliers that said, look, I just want to own a hotel. You know, I went to school at this university and I want to build a hotel on campus. And, and that was just a lot of noise and extra supply that, that kind of affected us. So I'm hopeful that that supply will, will be gone. And, and, you know, good for Hilton and Marriott and IG and others that people may, may focus more on brands. So I think that's definitely, you know, coming. Um, you know, for Shameen, you know, we're, we're – continue to grow at a measured place, pace. We have um, three hotels under construction. We have three that we're actually going to start construction. I know it seems crazy, but I mean, here's, here's my thought. Correct me if I'm wrong. I can get maybe 10%, 15% less on the construction cost. Rates are so low right now, right? So I'm saving maybe 10, 15% if I, if I stretch it out for four years in terms of my financing costs. So I'm, maybe I'm 20, 30% below. If I went out and tried to buy something today, maybe I'd get 20, 30% discount, but then I got to do a PIP. It's an older asset. And the big thing is that carrying costs, right? So, I mean, we're kind of looking at it both ways. So I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth. One, we see development is crazy. Anybody developing anything today is crazy. <laughs> However, um, I do think that the thesis is there. If you can get costs down, which we haven't seen yet, but if you can get construction costs down, and if you can do good projects and good markets, the time you open them will be right about the time the world's coming back. Uh, and I think you'll be in a great shape. But that's tricky. I don't know when the world's coming back. And can you get a loan today? If you, were, if you had the best project, could you get a loan for it today? Or could you not? Yeah. I don't know. It takes real uh, guts to do a development project today, I think. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, my lenders are saying, you know, we're deferring your payments on your existing loans, but you want to borrow more money on a new hotel. All right. I love it. I, I'm with you on the lenders. Uh, all right, Neil. So give me, listen, I know you, you're, uh, tell me personal on the personal side, hope the family's well, but give me, tell me what mountain we're climbing next. Tell me what adventure, <laughs> crazy adventure we're doing. You always got something. Yeah. You know, I mean, I love the outdoors and, uh, you know, we, we climbed, I have a group of friends. We climbed a couple of, 14,000 uh, feet mountains in Colorado. As you do. It was, it was a great, uh, great experience, bonding experience. And then, you know, we did, uh, we went on the shark diving trip to Mexico, you know, got in some cages for about a week and, and we saw these great whites. I mean, these are massive animals. I had, or massive fish, I had no idea. I Were mean, you scared you know, to death? 
I, I was a little bit, honestly. You know what scared me? You saw the teeth marks on the cages. <laughs> so, you know, you get in this cage, you see teeth marks, you're like, oh, man, this, this is a little dangerous, you know? But, uh, no, it was, it was a great experience. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, my view is that your life is about your experience, right? I mean, we can work all day long, but and these are things I remember. If you ask me, these are things I remember. That's what's important. You know? uh, which I hopefully is the thing which we've learned in this COVID. Uh, life is, we all do this because we're passionate about it. Uh, and it's nice, hopefully financially, but life is about our family. Life is about your friends. Yeah. Uh, life is about your adventures. So we got to spend more time in that and less workaholics like we all are, right? Yeah. That's the best thing about COVID. I mean, we got to spend time with the family, you know, kids who are at home, you know, from school. And, you know, it was a great, great bonding experience. You know, they got to see what I was doing. I got to see what little work they were doing. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> That's right. Now we'll get back. Are they back in school? Kids back in school? They are. They are. They both are back in school. Yeah, back to some sense of normal. All right. Uh, Neil, you are a true friend. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I hope we get to do this in person soon. I want to come sit on that rooftop and have a beer with you. That sounds great. I look forward to it. I agree. Uh, if, if, or March, whenever I see you first. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, Neil. You're the best. All right. You too. Take care. All right. Bye.